Welcome to the latest ATP Tennis Radio podcast. I'm Brian Clark, and we've got another packed show. We'll hear from the American Taylor Fritz, the former doubles standout, the assistant tournament director of the upcoming Masters 1000 event in Cincinnati, Eric Buderak. But first, we've got a final in Toronto. The National Bank Open, presented by Rogers, was the fifth Masters 1000 event of 2021. Those five tournaments have featured 10 different players in the final. It's a year of stunning variety, and that continued when Daniil Medvedev met Riley Opelka. Commentators Joe Shannon and Miles McLagan look back on where that title was won and where it was lost. This is pressure. Match point down, championship point down. Backhand return for Medvedev, lands in play, and Apelka nets the forehand, and Daniel Medvedev has done it. Medvedev is a champion in Toronto, his fourth ATP Masters 1000 title. The world number two had high hopes coming into this tournament, and now he will lift the trophy. He takes the acclaim of the crowd. Daniel Medvedev, a winner at this level in Cincinnati in 2019, in Shanghai in 2019, in Paris in 2020, and now in Toronto in 2021. Daniel Medvedev, a straight sets winner in the final over Riley Apelka, 6-4, 6-3, and Medvedev, the top seed, is the National Bank Open champion. Fascinating day. Medvedev a straight sets victor four and three. Aaron twenty five. That doesn't even begin to tell you really, give you a sense of the magnitude of the of the performance and just how outstanding he was on the day. Really, really impressive. I mean, he, one of these players you've we've obviously seen time and time again, but still continue to surprise you and astound you with the sort of tennis he can play, the movement around the court. And I, th I think the confidence is just growing and growing for, for Daniel Medvedev, how he's able to, not just today, but some of his previous rounds, able to just, you know, find his best when he really, really needs needs to, um, you know, and that's going back to some of the other matches where he was outplayed for some time, but able to hang in long enough and, and allow his opponents to falter at those absolutely crucial moments. But we wondered today, you know, the battle was obviously between the serve of Apalka and, and the return of Medvedev, and we now who, who know who came out on top. And did he play with the poise and the confidence of a player that has been there and done it at this level before? Did that help and did Apelka look like a player who had never been at this level before it was the biggest day of his tennis life yeah I, I wouldn't say that was outwardly obvious for, from Apelka but just the fact that you know Medvedev is, is comfortable and you know Apelka had those chances early on the fourth game he had love 40 you almost wonder if they came a little bit quickly for him because he you know he rushed through those three points and you know that's so often the difference who's who just has that composure to to take their opportunities when you play against uh, the, the likes of Daniel Medvedev one of the best in the world you get limited chances it's very rare in a match you don't get a chance but they're limited against those guys and you need to, to to seize them and uh, you know Apelka was was unable to I'm sure there's a few areas of his game that 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 he'll look at he would like to have done differently but yeah Medvedev I think you know today is also he probably didn't look back and think oh I played my best tennis um he might think about that all week but again that's just a, a, a sign that he's getting even better and better and more and more confident and what did he do that Tsitsipas couldn't do in the semi-final or what did Apelka do in the semi-final that he 
wasn't able to do, wasn't able to impose himself on Medvedev in the final. Well, as I've touched on, the big differences in the returns, and Tsitsipas, a phenomenal player as he is, the, the return is perhaps the, uh, on a quicker court, is perhaps the, the weakest part of his game, whereas, whereas Medvedev, it's, it's certainly one of the strongest. It'd be hard to pick out which is the best, actually, um, as it would be for Tsitsipas, but the, the, the changes the balance where uh, Palka feels comfortable serving volleying uh, against its best that wasn't the case and Medvedev was able to pick out a, a couple of really good returns when he when he needed to in fact his first opportunity um, in the game following the, the one he had saved three break points one chance takes it with a return winner and, and that's a difference of composure there and you know that certainly put doubts in the big American's mind I think he he perhaps wasn't as clear he got drawn into some baseline rallies of which you know he, he's very good at and and against a lot of guys he would have won a lot of those points but we're talking about somebody a little special here the message post-match from Medvedev minutes after <laughs> winning the final and just minutes after lifting the trophy was very much about looking ahead straight away and that's the attitude of a champion isn't it it really is yeah not not resting on your laurels and that's sometimes the the frustrating thing about tennis is you know you don't often get time to sort of celebrate and unwind but you know he he's, he's won i think that that's his 12th title now his fourth uh, masters 1000 uh, title so it's not taking as much out of him emotionally as, as it might be say had riley apelka one he's, he's been there before he's excited about it he's happy about it he's going to take the confidence but you know he wants more what are his goals for the year to come? That's, I mean, the obvious one is, is coming up. I mean, of course, Cincinnati is making good noises about that, but the obvious one is coming up at the start of the 30th of August, isn't it? U.S. Open time. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's still got to get his hands on uh, on one of those trophies. And, uh, you know, it, from, from the rest of the pack, teams teams initially won the race, hasn't he? But, uh, um, you know, he got, he got his hands on, on the U.S. Open last year. So the, from, from that pool of um, Zverev, Tsitsipas, he was obviously in the final, Medvedev, Berrettini now has been in the final, Rublev, all those guys knocking at the door. Who's, who's going to be next? You'd probably say... Medvedev is is the most likely, particularly given that it's hard courts. It's past not, uh, you know, he, he prefers the clay. Very good on that. But uh, um, and of course, got Zverev coming back into the mix. But yeah, Medvedev, uh, I, I would guess that the big target is uh, is U.S. Open. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely fascinating. This is the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. So Opelka is making big strides, literally and figuratively, but it was also put to him that American men's tennis as a whole is having a moment. 14 players are in the top 100 right now. Likes of Jensen Brooksby, Brandon Nakashima, and Seb Korda are rising fast. The press has been extremely negative um, towards American tennis. Extremely negative, ridiculous to be honest. We have 14 guys in the top 100. Um, so yeah, when it comes to um, you know, the press always being so critical on, on U.S. tennis. I, I don't have time to answer it. You know, I don't have time to even hear any of, that, any of those comments. We have some unbelievable guys. Isner's been top 20 for a decade. TFO has been in the quarters of the Australian Open. He's beaten pretty much everyone. Uh, Tommy has had an unbelievable last two years. And Fritz has been top, consistently top 30 for a long time now. Uh, the, the media and the, and the press have been extra harsh, I think, on, on American tennis success. They've been comparing it to a unrealistic era. The game's different. The game's changed. Um, 
and the U.S. American tennis is is in a great spot. It's been even, and then the women's side is, we've been fortunate with with Venus and Serena, and now Coco and Madison Keys have been great. Uh, American tennis is doing just fine. It's the media that that has the problem. Great to get the views of Riley Opelka. I'm sure that's a debate that'll be picked up during the live ATP tennis radio coverage throughout this week in Cincinnati. Congratulations to Riley, of course, on his first Masters 1000 final. Tall Americans' achievements in Toronto were on the mind of his friend and fellow player Taylor Fritz. Our reporter Mike Cation caught up with Taylor and asked him how, like Riley, he can make the next step. That's what I've been, been working towards a lot. You know, I feel like I'm I am so like so close so many times of just like getting by one of these tight matches the draw opens up and like I mean even like just look at like Washington I looked at I looked at the whole draw and I felt like I felt like if I could have just performed at my level I could have I could have seen myself in the in the semis or finals and you know it's just it's just like some weeks I have tough draws, and those are the weeks I'm playing well. And then some <laughs> weeks I have draws that open up, and those are the weeks that I, I, I end up not playing great. And I just have to keep working and keep trusting the process. And I have to treat every single week like it's a slam, like it's a huge week, because you never know when you're going to get that opportunity, and you never know when, you know, maybe the draw is going to open up or something's going to happen, and you got to take advantage of it. And, you know, I've, I've, I've had lots of chances. <laughs> and, and it's it's really frustrating. It's really frustrating. I mean, I've lost in I think five, five or six semis semifinals this year. I've I've done I've done well at getting myself deep into tournaments, into good positions, and then kind of just failed to execute on you know a lot of a lot of winnable matches. You know, in my opinion, I think there's very few players in the world right now that I I don't. Uh, you know, when I go into a match where I don't think it's winnable, I don't think that I at least have a very, you know, solid chance of winning. So I just, I just have to keep working and just manage those situations better and have big results. And I'm super happy for Riley. You know, he, you know, he did it. He got a bit of a an opening, I'd say, and he he played himself into the final playing good tennis. How have you managed to stay positive, happy? Um, <laughs> we kind of just look at it from an outsider's perspective of just saying, oh, he's so close, things must be great. It's not always great. So how have you maintained that positive outlook to be able to go into the next tournament and say, I'm ready for this next opportunity if it does break my way? I mean, I haven't, I haven't like, my, my, I, I always say, like, my, how happy I am is sometimes indicative of where my, it coincides with where my rankings at and right now my rankings down a bit and yeah. I'm definitely not I'm you know I'm definitely pissed about that I'm really pissed about the fact my ranking is like 40 right now but um what what else can you do like you know you say like you know how do you stay positive week to week like what else what else can I do I, I don't want to you know not give it 100% every week and then end up settling being one of these guys that's ranked between 30 and 50 his whole life because I can. I know. If I want to just, you know, if I want to just stop working hard, I know I can do that. I know I can hang hang around forty to fifty for the majority of my career. But am I going to do that? Like, of course not. I, I there's. It sucks blowing these opportunities. You know, having semis in Cabo, semis of Atlanta. I felt like a decent draw in DC, and you know, having a, a episode last week. It's just like it's tough. But what else can you do other than just? fight you know fight through it and and come back the next next week and 
I don't know how else to say it than like the the losses motivate you and the wins also motivate you for me. So I'm lucky for that. I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, streaming. You something you and I yeah. talked about off mic a little while ago um, because you've been doing some gaming. Yeah. Um, you've been investing in gaming as well. Mm-hmm. Just one. I, just <laughs> so I, I'm, I guess I'm interested in the idea of what it what it provides for you, and, and on top of it. What um, learning experiences do you think tennis can gain from gaming, considering how popular Twitch, YouTube gaming, Facebook gaming, how popular that is with the younger generation? That last one's a bit tough because I don't know if there's a, there's a parallel that can be taken because video games is just something that is popular among kids. And, you know, the the golden question is how do we get more kids to play tennis? And I think the answer to that is just to have someone in you know in the u.s just has to be like an absolute star that kids look up to and kids want to be like and and you know we don't have that and on the men's side at least yeah excuse me before i get absolutely (laughs) roasted there are tons of girls playing tennis and tons of like before i get absolutely roasted (laughs) serena is the most amazing role model in all of sports for definitely for any young girl so and i definitely never i never think that um there's a lack of lack of that for women i feel like lots of lots of girls love playing tennis and i think i just feel like a lot of boys go into you know the football baseball basketball you know every kid every kid looks up to the nba players and i think the men could really use a big uh tennis symbol um to kind of just make the sport uh cool so I think that's what it's going to take. Um, I don't know if esports is going to uh, really do that. We could we could make tennis. You know, they've tried doing things, making it more fun, more appealing, and I think that could be cool. But uh, yeah, I mean, esports is big because kids love playing video games. As a kid, I love playing video games. So then I like to go watch all the people that are really good play and people that are entertaining play. And it's just that's just how it is. And um, you know, the entertaining side of it is another thing. I think there's a lot of great entertainers in tennis, like Nick and Gail and, you know, so many other people that are so good for the sport because they bring that extra, they bring people in, you know, they want to, people want to see them. So it's, it's interesting because you mentioned two guys who also have started streaming on Twitch at yeah, times, that's true. you, that's you true. know that's what I mean? True. Yeah. That's, I guess that's what I'm wondering is there, is there that way to make the personalities within the sport? Because well, there are such yeah, great ones. How, how do you get that out in a way to younger viewers? It's kind of like what we do when we're not playing tennis. Right. You know, it's like what I said. We kind of have to become personalities outside of our sport, and then people become fans of us and want to become interested in tennis as well. You know, we, we attract fans that are outside of want to attract fans that are outside of tennis and then bring them into tennis because they just like your I don't know personality like it happens in other sports too you might see someone you think wow this guy's really cool and it turns out they're like a I don't know like a UFC fighter then you start go watching their fights and then you become a UFC fan and then you start watching and so it's stuff like that like you know I never knew much about UFC and then I started watching uh I got into watching uh Sean O'Malley and now I now I like watching UFC it's, it's stuff like that happens you know and so I think that us as tennis players can can you know do a good job of expanding our horizons outside of tennis and a lot of tennis players kind of just keep to themselves outside of tennis and it's, it's tough because tennis is such a around-the-clock demanding job it's like I get pretty upset when I'm streaming and people will say something like 
oh, shouldn't you be training? I'm like, dude, I just practiced <laughs> six hours today. Like, just because I didn't post about it all over my Instagram doesn't mean it didn't happen, you know? Like, it, it's it's interesting, too, because I, I think about it. You have had, in the last couple of years, you you played with Ninja. You played Fortnite with Ninja. Yeah. And now you're you're also golfing with Kygo. I, I, did I yeah. see that right? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're getting to explore a lot of different avenues. And that's that's got to be a really enticing thing for you as you continue to expand, I guess, your brand, if you will. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I don't think of it like I just I, I just meet I, I meet certain people. And if it's someone who I kind of just like hit it off with, get along with well, then then it is what it is. You know, like Kygo and I met through his manager who I'm you know, become extremely close friends with his manager over last like you know, probably four or five years, like five years. And they're just really like cool guys, good people. And we get along. So, you know, when, you know, they're he was in LA and we went golfing, you know, whatever. And it's just, it's just stuff like that. Uh, I try to make genuine connections with people and not force it. And, uh, you know, if we, if we're cool and they're cool, then, you know, we hang out and do fun stuff like that. And it's, you know, it's, uh, it's fun. Taylor Fritz, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it as always. Yeah. Thanks. And keeping the American theme going, the Toronto commentary team of Joe Shannon and Miles McLagan look back on the rest of the week in Canada with a particular focus on the other giant American who made the semifinals. They're also going to look at the news that came out just before Sunday's final, that Roger Federer further injured himself during the grass court season and is elected to undergo knee surgery. The 20-time major champion just turned 40 and said in a video posted to social media, I want to give myself a glimmer of hope to return to the tour in some shape or form. A lot to talk about for Joe and Miles. There were sort of rumors rumbling around that, uh, you know, he'd... That, that he'd hurt the knee and um, you know obviously there were issues pulling out uh, here in Cincinnati and yeah that word glimmer it, it's tough to take too much uh, hope from it isn't it because mm -hmm. that sort of suggests that the possibilities are very limited he's said that he's going to be uh, on, on crutches for for some time so it's obviously something uh, I'm no surgeon but I would imagine it's something relatively serious if he needs to keep his weight off it and you know how frustrating for him because you know his run at Wimbledon given that the how little tennis the run at French Open as well was impressive he he pulled out there in, in, in the third round, having had a couple of good wins. But you know, he's, he still has plenty to offer, and um, you know, I'm sure he's, you know, I'm sure he feels that he has plenty of victories still to go. So if he can get back, I'm sure he'll do everything he can. But uh, you know, even for the great Roger Federer, the end will <laughs> will come at some stage. It must be difficult to accept. I think for a great champion, that must be hard to get your head around. Even for somebody who is now 40 years of age and has done so much and has won everything. It's tough, isn't it? I would imagine so. Listen, I wish I could sit and tell you exactly what it's like to, to be a great champion and, uh, and force to retire. But I think, you know, some players are actually, uh, and it is Roger Federer's case, that the injuries come and it becomes tiring managing your body just, you know, all the time. You're almost fighting that more than, more than your tennis. But um, you know, as I said, I'm sure he feels he still has plenty of victories and, and looks at the, the, the players that he's seeing and thinking, they're tough, but I can beat them. I can have a, have a run in a tournament. I can still, he seems to still you know, really enjoy life on the road. He enjoys competing. You know, he, he plays in front of stadiums with a buzz, and you know, he's old enough and smart enough to know that that won't be the case forever. So I'm sure, we'll, you know, it goes without saying, he'll do his, do his best. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. That being said... Will we see him again in a Grand Slam tournament, do you think? Do we see him at Wimbledon next year? Is he, 
is it a realistic possibility at this stage or is it about finding an opportunity for, for a farewell some point along the calendar in the future, I guess. You know, I, I really don't know what, what how he wants to go out. And, you know, I always said if, if, if he wants to play until he's sort of 50 years old in the, in, in the futures level, 60 years old, and, and just because he loves playing, well, that's his choice to, to do so. So, um, yeah, I mean, the question, you know, we would love things to be back to normal. Would he go down to Australia if he was fit? You know, he's got to, you either put your family through quarantine with young kids as not easy or you go yourself and you spend a long time away from the family which is off the top of my head not something he's um he's done a whole lot so um you know then then you're looking at the middle of the year for the french open and and wimbledon so you know i really don't know let's hope so and uh boy if he if he does sort of announce it and does a bit of a send-off it'll be quite a uh, <laughs> quite an occasion wouldn't it yeah we will see uh, plenty of key stories throughout the week in toronto of course daniel medvedev is the champion but we had two surprising semi-finalists two big serving americans of course riley pelka the runner-up and and john isner at 36 the winner in atlanta and a run to the semis not bad very good he, he's been playing some excellent tennis hasn't played a whole lot in the first half of the year so coming in a bit fresh a win in atlanta just a couple of weeks ago so confident full of match practice and uh, yeah, he, he he was he was tough to stop, and he knows it right now. He said it, but uh, well, he wasn't so tough to stop for Medvedev, was he? That was a sensational performance. I think that was Medvedev's 54 minutes. 54 minutes. Wow. I mean, he just Two brushed his aside. Perhaps some some injury concerns there, but um, yeah, it, it's it was good to see John, Big John playing some 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 big tennis, as did uh, Apelka. What else stood out for you this week? We had some super comeback victories. We had Stefanos Tsitsipas going out in the semi-finals. We had the two Canadian seeds, Shapovalov and Oje Aliassime, going out very early on. And, of course, then some great stories like James Duckworth, the qualifier with a run to the third round. What else has really stood out, Miles? Yeah, well, just to start with the two Canadians. I mean, uh, unlike uh, Daniel Medvedev, Denis Shapovalov sort of, you know, talk, talking up his chances and then, uh, you know, they didn't last too long. He was beaten by a, a pretty inspired Francis Tiafoe, who's also looking to to work his way back. That was a, a great atmosphere. But, yeah, those those two Canadians, I mean, their, their upside is, is, is immense. I think they still need to, to perhaps just... Uh, be a little clearer on their game, how they're going to go about it if, if they're not feeling great. And then, you know, other players who had been out for some time, Gael Monfils, he provided some real entertainment, didn't he? Uh, a tough match with the TFO. And then, of course, with Isner running down some of those uh, in, in, incredible serves. Her catch, I enjoyed seeing, um, just seemed to be a bit more steel and determination behind what he was looking to do, as though he's really settling into his, uh, his, his top 20 ranking, of course, fairly fresh off a, a Wimbledon semi-final. Yannick Sinner, the young Italian, well, that was a, a little bit disappointing. He went down to, to Duckworth, a qualifier you mentioned. Um, let's look ahead to Toronto, uh, to Cincinnati, Miles. Let's look ahead to Cincinnati. Um, qualifying is, is coming to an end as we speak. Of course, it is all about to get underway. Plenty of stories to look at. I mean, one of the questions, of course, is... Can Daniel Medvedev do it again? Tsitsipas is the number two seed. Sasha Zverev, the Olympic gold medalist, is back on the ATP tour. Andy Murray has been given a wild card into the event. Matteo Berrettini is back after that run to the semis at Wimbledon earlier in the summer. So there is a, there is a lot of intrigue, isn't there? There, there really is, yeah. And those names you mentioned coming back into the mix. Um, Medvedev... Uh, uh, uh. 
I may be, uh, I need to, maybe wrong, but I think it was a couple of years ago when he made the final in, in Toronto. He then went on to win Cincinnati. So he's shown that he can, um, you know, back up a good week. And, and in all fairness, his last couple of matches were, were not the most physically demanding. So he should still be in good shape. He takes on the winner of Brandon Nakashima and Mackenzie McDonald, both who've got their own stories and uh, are on the rise. I'm not sure there'll be a challenge for Medvedev, but perhaps if they can make it tough for him, uh, you know, given the result he's had, that could be good to watch uh, and of course you know, Seb Corder who had to pull out this yep. week he's back that's down the bottom against Tsitsipas that'll be a nice match to measure up where, where those two are, are both at and, and Zverev who's you know fresh off a fresh off a gold medal in Tokyo that's big isn't it yeah for a confidence boost going into a tournament like this especially when he knows that because are there question mark I mean I, I know that Medvedev has, has, has done this before very similar before but how difficult is it to come off reaching a final winning a tournament yes and that natural high but it's physically very demanding isn't it to then go straight into a tournament literally days later it really is and and it's physically and emotionally and mentally demanding as well that concentration but i think you know as i said he had the um, well, he'd earned to buy in the first round, as he has here. So he's, he'd get a couple of days off. Probably won't play till Wednesday. So only I think it was uh, it was, was it five matches he had to come through. Or four matches in um, in in Toronto. So uh, one, two, three, four, five matches he had to come through. Sorry, should should know. Been here all week. It's been a busy week. It's um, been a long week. Couldn't quite remember. It's a, it a 64 draw, isn't it? But you know, so given a little bit of a, a break there by not having to play yes. uh, six matches through, but. Um, you know, as, as I said before, because he's he's done it, it obviously it takes something, but not as much as say a, a, a first-time winner, perhaps. Thanks to Joe Shannon and Miles McLagan, they now turn their attention to the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati. Mike Cation is already hard at work. He's getting exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and those running the event, including a former player who's part of the U.S. tennis setup and is in Cincinnati as the assistant tournament director, Eric Buderak. It's fun to see my friends again and, and so many people that I spent so many years with on tour. And, you know, one of the things I missed most is not being able to travel a lot in the last, you know, 18 months. So being able to see my friends from all around the globe kind of coming here to where I'm spending a lot of time, it's a really special bonus uh, in addition to my role. Yeah, it's funny because every time I talk to a player who's been retired in, say, the last five years, always comes down to I don't necessarily miss the grind aspect but i really miss the camaraderie being with those people week in and week out it, it, i assume it's the same for you yeah i think so i think you you know you start to look back on your career and maybe you you think about it a little bit differently i think one of the things that are most special you know obviously the competition is amazing and we, we that's a whole separate category but being able to travel the world and, and having really great friends like you mentioned like rohan bopana from india john julian Roger from curacao raven Klassen from south africa i mean people that had unbelievably different experiences than i had growing Growing up, and it just makes you, I think, a more well-rounded person when you get to spend time with these individuals. And that's kind of one of the things I'm, I probably cherish most about my career is just spending time with individuals from all around the globe. For people who might not know, you obviously transitioned into a job with the USTA and the US Open over the last couple of years. Explain your, your role there and, and also then how that's helping you and, and inform things here in Cincinnati. Yeah, sure. So I was actually kind of recruited into the role by the, the CEO at the time, Gordon Smith. Um, you know, they had a tournament director who was a really, you know, strong in operations and they wanted someone who could help be a face and, you know, be close to the players and, you know, understand what players were looking for, you know, in the, in the, in the event and also be, a, you know, kind of a front lines, you know, putting out fires and being there to sort of receive the players when they came in. So 
you know, I looked at it as I could provide a lot of value to the USTA right away and, and be that, you know, um, that player face. But also then for me, it was an incredible opportunity to, to learn the business of, of tennis and obviously be a part of the US Open, you know, one of the greatest sporting events in the world. Um, so I, I jumped at that opportunity and I think it was the, the perfect blend of, of learning and also adding value uh, for, for a role for me and one that I've really enjoyed for the, for the past five years. Being this is the last tune-up for many players as they head into the U.S. Open, you guys um, with the, the USDA, the U.S. Open staff coming to Cincinnati to assist a little bit, make that transition easy for everyone. How has that role been this year? What have you guys done with Cincinnati in particular to kind of help make that road smooth? Yeah, so we, I guess, you know, we, we did this last year, right? We, we put on Cincinnati right. uh, in New York. So I think we kind of realized, look, we've got an unbelievable team in New York. Um, and, you know, we can help kind of make this the, the most smooth transition it could possibly be. You know, we were able to switch over to the Wilson ball, which is a real complaint among players for many years, that having to go from that, you know, head pen ATP ball for many years and then right into the U.S. Open. So we made that transition. Um, we brought the lake old surface that we use in New York, and they came and, and did the courts here. Uh, and then trying to, you know, bring a lot of the same staff, you know, people like myself or, you know, Weller Evans uh, on the practice desk or Alex Grabowski at transportation, just really, really trying to, you know, see a lot of the same faces that they're going to see in New York. And especially, you know, this year more than ever, when they have a lot of questions about what New York is going to be like, that, you know, we really brought a team of like seven of us that are going to be in New York here into Cincinnati to be here, you know, to help with the Cincinnati event, but also, you know, answer a lot of questions to, you know, what life's going to be in, like in New York and, and how they can, you know, best prepare for it. Yeah, because I think that's one complaint I've, I've heard a lot this year is that players have struggled because each tournament maybe is a little bit different in terms of how the bubbles are. It's it's because of the local municipalities and, and the health requirements. How are you guys preparing right now for New York and, and how similar will Cincinnati be to New York in terms of what the players will experience with bubbles, requirements, things like that? Yeah, so, you know, there's there's a few differences. The main differences are, you know, New York and Ohio have some slight differences, not a lot. Um, and then here we technically have to fall under the ATP and WTA guidelines, whereas in New York it's really the USTA Medical Advisory Group who will sort of govern it. That being said, you know, there is some sort of flexibility and discussions that can go on, you know, amongst the two. So, you know, we do our best to, to kind of make things similar and I think they will players will find them to be quite similar with just a you know a couple of you know slight nuances that um, you know may, may come in New York as you know the protocols in New York City are, are slightly stricter than maybe they are in the state of Ohio but um, for the most part I think they'll find them to be quite similar and we're trying to make that kind of process as, as smooth as it can be. And explain maybe the differences in the fan experience or will there be any differences it'll be great to obviously have fans in New York once again but is there going to be any difference between say Cincinnati and New York? I don't think there will be a difference. I think both both events, as it stands today, are at 100% capacity. <laughs> and right as we've all experienced, you know, things change daily, and what we say today could be different tomorrow. But uh, no, I think you know, as it stands today, what I know, it will be at 100% capacity at both events. You know, unfortunately, we still can't have that direct interaction between player and fan. And you know, you and I have talked, you know, before about how much I know players really appreciate having the full stands. And I think you know, the fans love the the selfies and the autographs. And I know players love love doing that as well. So I think you know. For obvious kind of COVID reasons, we can't allow as much interaction as we'd liked. But you know, you know, we're we're getting there. Yeah, I want to take you through a little bit of the draw here in Cincinnati. Um, I know you are the assistant tournament director, so I don't want to put you in picking a favorite here by any means. But we're we're obviously with Novak being gone and, and Roger and, and Rafa and all that. We're in a bit of a uncharted waters here over the last few weeks and months, right? 
how how do you think the players are approaching it? Is it a little bit different in terms of saying this is really now anybody's event? Yeah. I mean, it could be a little bit similar to what we saw in New York last year once Novak was out. I remember kind of, you know, being around the locker room the next day and there was a lot of guys looking around going like, wow, this is this is anyone's tournament, right? Um, but it's also, you know, it's something that's going to happen at some point in the game, right? I mean, what Roger, you know, Rafa and Novak have done, you know, it's been talked about at length, right? I mean, 60 grand slams between the three, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. But there will be a changing of the guard at some point, and I think it's also good for tennis to start to get ready for that. I think the young stars are incredibly exciting to watch. I mean, the people here, they love Medvedev. He's won here before. You know, Tsitsipas and Zverev and, you know, some of the young Americans. I mean, these, these are really exciting talents. Um, I think one of the exciting things about the younger guys is that, that, you know, they like to play 25 tournaments a year, right? And so I think when we, when we get to the next generation, we're going to see them out on the road playing more. Um, so I think that's something we'll see, which will be great. So, you know, I think, um, you know, people in Ohio are so excited to see tennis back. I mean, we just, we just sat through a, a Saturday of qualifying where we had like 10,000 people on the ground. So that's exciting. Um, of course, I think they were all disappointed when they heard the withdrawals from those top players. But, you know, once they get out here and, and see the action, I think fans are going to be excited with, you know, what we have, to, you know, to show them. Between Daniil and, and Tsitsipas, um, Medvedev and Tsitsipas, what do you think they bring in terms of, I, I guess, the knowledge for, for fans? I mean, those, those three that we talked about, and Andy as well, they've just been leading on the men's side for, for so many years. Do you think those two in particular in a place like Ohio here in the States, do you think they have the same draw, same pull if they're part of the night session here in Cincinnati? Well, it's hard to compare them, right, to, yeah. to Roger and Rafa, you know, international superstars, you know, iconic, you know, over so many years. But, you know, I think... I think they, you know, Daniil winning here was, was really exciting for the fans. So I think the fact that he comes back, I think we're gonna, it's going to be exciting to see how much, you know, they welcome him back. Um, you know, Sissy Pass, I think he's still sort of probably a newer star, but, you know, his game is so explosive and he's sort of a, you know, flamboyant, you know, good looking superstar. And I think that's, you know, and, and Zverev very much the same, right? So I think, um, yeah, I think they, uh, like I said, they, people in Ohio, I, I really, you know, having spent a lot of time here this summer, they love sort of the history of who's done well here. So I think, you know, they are all talking about Daniil. So I think it's going to take maybe a year of Pass winning or Zverev winning for people from Ohio to sort of remember that. For whatever it is, they're passionate about Ohio. So, like, you have to come and win in Ohio, and then it really means something. So more so than, you know, if you win in Paris or London or Shanghai, it doesn't mean as much as if you've won here before. So... You know, so even I hear more about Grigor because he's won here than I do about Zverev or Sissipas when I come back. So it's just, you know, they're, they're passionate about their state. And um, so, yeah, so that's, that's, you know, seems to be the way it is. It, it's, as we're recording this, Riley Opelka uh, just got to the finals in, in, at the Rogers Cup up, up north. It's obviously been a tough road for the American men to have somebody in a Masters final. What does it mean for this next generation of Americans to kind of have one of those guys that have long been talked about, Francis, Riley, Taylor, Tommy, what does it mean to finally have one of them at that level in a Masters final? Yeah, I think it's great, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we had that, the generation behind them, you know, that we have kind of the summer of Nakashima and Brooksby, right? And then that was even with not a lot of people talking about Cordell as of late. So I wonder if, you know, that generation of, like you said, the, you know, Riley, Taylor, you know, Francis, Tommy, that this new generation behind them started pushing. Yeah. And you wonder kind of what that does to them. And now we see Riley kind of break through and have his career result this week. So 
Yeah, I think it. I think it's all exciting. I like all those guys. I know you followed them all the way through the Challenger tour. They're all great people, which yeah. is really fun. But unfortunately, in America, right, we're so used to the days of Agassi and Sampras, and you know all the players before that of these champions, all the way you know Roddick you know, of my era. But uh, you know Americans are used to number ones. So, you know, when we have players that are, you know, 25 and 30, it's just not what they're used to. So I'm sure it's hard for those guys. I think Isner's probably struggled with a little bit. He's handled as well as I think he could. He's had an unbelievable career, you know, came out of college and look at all the titles he's won. But as, you know, being the top American ranked, you know, often in every, any given year, you know, seven, eight, all the way down to 30, it's, it's like not what the Americans are used to. So it's a, it's a, that, that's a tricky spot to be in. I mean, again, like he's, an, he's a great friend and, and, and I, I think it's unbelievable how he's handled it, but it's probably, you know, it's also a tricky spot to be for it's, them. It's interesting because there are so many Americans in the top 100. Yeah. Um, it's just that nobody's been able to get to that slam uh, you know final or something like that Isner's obviously just kind of held things for the last couple of years but it's it feels like it's close to being getting one of those guys in there I think so and I you know and like I said the guy we haven't talked about a lot who we know has sort of the DNA to do it is Sebi Corda right right it's like you look what his dad did you look what his sisters are doing he doesn't seem to be phased at all in big matches yeah and so he's one that I think a lot of people have their eye on that like you know could be that guy who really goes goes big and Jensen Brooksby's not even here and he just the way he competes is I something comp- I, I just haven't seen it in a long time yeah and that's something too that I think Americans love, right? Is that that guy who you know Roddick was one of those, right? It's just like every time you saw Roddick play, you knew he was going to leave it all out there, right? And just like he just competed like an animal. And, and Brooksby has some of those qualities, which I think people really, really like. I would be remiss if I didn't ask the, the former doubles superstar here about Mektic, Mektic, excuse me, and Pavic, the year that they're having, and just what you think it means, especially after the Bryans have left and really they've been carrying the, the doubles mantle for so many years. The year that Mektic and Pavic are having, what, what do you think it means to, to that side of our sport? So I have mixed, mixed, mixed opinions on them. On, on one, on the court, I think they're as talented as anyone, right? I played a lot against Pavic. I mean, he's just like a way better version of me, right? He's a lefty, you know, out of the deuce court and does all swings the serve. He does all the things that I do just way, way better. So I can totally relate to kind of, you know, the, his style. And then and then watching Mektic the last couple of years and seeing his game get better and better and better, I, I completely, I love it. The thing I, I don't like is that, you know, they don't seem to kind of carry the torch the way the Bryans do as far as promoting the game. And I thought, you know, doubles is, it's always been a second fiddle, but with the Bryans, we always had that team that was out there signing every autograph, doing every every extra fan activation and kind of carrying the torch. And those guys don't seem to want to really invest in that, which I think is, is disappointing. But also, unfortunately, I sort of see the knock-on effect with the other doubles teams not doing quite as much as well. Uh, I see that a lot more from the tournament director side now. And as far as kind of like engaging with the fans, of course, during COVID, this, we're kind of, we're, we're challenged anyways. But I do think that it could be very you know difficult for the sport of doubles to kind of continue and kind of hold on to what it has unless we see someone on the double side step up and kind of be that face you know i think even before the bryans they'll always point to the jensen's right are the ones who were like you know they would come to every tournament and be like what can i do they were doing the weather on the local news station right they would do they would go out and hit sponsor booths and shake hands before they walked on court yeah. stuff that's kind of unheard of now and the bryans always point to that like they were our guide right and i think then the bryans so guys like me who you know 20 30 in the world we look at the Bryans and what they were doing we're like we want to do that too and now doubles doesn't have that leader 
And so I just hope that for the good of the sport, someone kind of steps up. It doesn't have to be the number one team, and it's clearly really not going to be Mektik Shimpovic, I don't think. So it's got to be someone, you know, whether it's a Jamie Murray or someone who's got some kind of star power who says, you know, I'm going to show what needs to be done. But that's the one thing I think doubles misses. Um, and, I, and I hope that kind of someone, someone finds a way to, 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 to do that. Got a little bit of the flash of the passion in that those eyes that I remember from a few years ago there, Eric. Yeah, I just, <laughs> you know, I think doubles is great, yeah. and I think that it, that, that, it, that it could be even better, and a lot of people support the sport, yeah. but it's also, we got, you know, the, the, the doubles players need to do their part, and so I, I just, I hope that, that you know, they, they, they as a group continue to do that. So that's about it from this week's podcast, but don't forget to join the ATP Tennis Radio commentary team for ball-by-ball coverage of the Western and Southern Open. Play begins at 11 a.m. local time. We'll bring you every ball until the end of play. And please join us back here next weekend when we'll round up all the events from Cincinnati and look ahead to the U.S. Open. I'm Brian Clark. Thanks for listening.